1: Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Good morning. I love that we sing that song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus, because life is about decisions every day, everywhere we turn. And if you're a parent, that's one of the hardest and also one of the most rewarding things when we watch our children grow up and we watch them start making the decisions that they need to. It's also a very helpless feeling. <clears throat> this week I've been visiting with one of my kids and, you know, school's starting off and you know, she's going through some decisions that she has to make and she's not certain what's going to happen. So we've talked about it, and one thing that kept coming up, she'd say, but Dad, how do I know if I'm right? I said, you don't. But you have to pray about it. You have to look at things. Don't just fly off the handle. Make make your decision in prayer. I said, the most important thing that you can do is trust in God she said whatever happens God can make it work out for your good and his glory <clears throat> and she said something and it's what the world is telling us she says okay so basically you're just saying I need to trust my heart and I said no that's not what I'm saying at all Trusting God is very different than trusting in your heart. In Jeremiah chapter 17, starting in verse 9, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? You know, let's... (laughs) That's kind of hard to have to to read and and think about. Remember that when Jeremiah is writing this, he's preparing them; they're fixing to go into captivity. It's it's bad. It is a consequence of their choices, <clears throat> and he's telling them, "If you believe, if you follow your heart, it will lead you astray." <clears throat> but then in verse. Ten, It says, but I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Okay? Don't trust your heart because it's deceitful and you're going to get what you deserve. That brings us to why we're here today. We're fixing to partake of the Lord's Supper because... Not a single one of us want what we deserve. Romans chapter 3, says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We all do. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus. When he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. That's that's why we're here. We can't trust our heart because it's wicked. And God has said he will give us what we deserve. But praise the Lord He gave us an escape from that through Jesus. And because of that, now when we believe Jesus is the Son of God and we proclaim that to the world, in fact, He does give us what we deserve then because through the blood of Christ, we deserve a home in heaven. And He has promised that to us. Let's think on these things while we partake this. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your love and mercy toward us. we know you are just, Lord, and you are faithful. But we also know that you are merciful. And we thank you that you showed that mercy to us by giving us a sacrifice to cleanse us before you. Father, help us to examine our hearts right now and to draw closer to you. Help us to think about this wonderful, amazing gift that you have and to tell others about it. Thank you for all you've done, Lord. We ask this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.
0: Sunday, January 8th, 2017, a giant fell and the earth trembled. This is a picture of the Pioneer Cabin Tree in the Calaveras Great Tree Park in Northern California. It's one of the great sequoias. It's one of the drive-through sequoias. It was named the Pioneer Cabin Tree because of its kind of pointy inside, and uh, it was big enough to have a tiny house in it. Uh, it was over 300 feet tall. It had been topped in the er- early part of the century, so they didn't really know how big it was ever at its best, but it was estimated to be 1,000 years old. It was 33 feet wide. It was beautiful. It was majestic. It was seemingly indestructible until the storm came. The issue was inside. The roots were obviously hollowed out. Uh, they don't do that anymore for obvious reasons. But the core of the tree was gone. The limbs were were brittle. And the storm brought wind and rain. Not a huge storm. But a storm big enough to topple this mighty tree, and it came crashing down, tearing down trees all around. It's a powerful metaphor for believers today. Shallow roots can be dangerous times. We're part of this road trip series. We're coming to the finale of it today. We're going to be in Mark chapter 11 if you're joining us online or on the radio. uh, Thanks for tuning in to Central Christian Church. uh, Mark chapter 11 is where we're going to be. Jesus goes on a road trip, and he teaches a lesson. Now, Franklin talked from this passage about a year ago, and it was great, and I want to go a different direction with it and and look at some possibles. I want to, I want to throw out some potential ideas to you. Uh, realizing that the, this is happening during the week of Passover... Jerusalem is a town of about twenty to thirty thousand normally, but during Passover can swell to as much as two hundred to two hundred and fifty thousand people. It's massive. All these people coming in. So the the town is teeming with people. And Hebrew prophets were known to use theatrics to get their point across. And I mean that in respect. Not not lying, not fake, but theatrics. Last week we talked about Jeremiah. He put a yoke on, a physical wooden yoke on and he carried it around. Uh, there's other places where where Elijah when he was fighting with the prophets of Baal, he said pour water on it. Now pour it on it again. Pour it, you know, four times he, to to get the point across. I want you to see here right outset at the outset, I believe everything we're going to read literally happened. I believe it physically happened. But I also want to suggest to you that maybe that Jesus is making a point here, a metaphoric point, a, a, a point of, of parable about things that last. Join me in Mark chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse 12. I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. The new, next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs, but there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat your fruit again, and the disciples heard him say it. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from... From using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you've turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. That evening, Jesus and his disciples left the city. The next morning, as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Then Jesus said to the disciples, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it'll happen. But you must really believe it'll happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against, so that your Father in Heaven will forgive your sins too. May we be encouraged by reading God's Word together as a family. Now all throughout scripture specifically in the old testament the fig tree represented israel the fig tree that's shown here is actually overlooking the the city of jerusalem in hosea in micah in jeremiah they they claimed that the fig tree represented excuse me represented jerusalem i learned this this week that a fig tree can produce two kinds of fruit a good fruit and a An inedible fruit at the same time and I thought that was interesting not just good fruit but stuff that's rotten from the inside and I think there's a metaphor there and I want you to know this about this story this shows up in three different ways in Scripture we just read it in Mark here and it's a two-part story there was a part where he cursed the tree and then they went and he cleansed the temple and he came back and the tree was dead and and So the temple part was in between. In the Matthew account of this story, it's only one part. He curses the tree, it dies in front of them, and then he goes and cleanses the temple. But in the Luke account, it is written more as a parable in Luke 13 about a vineyard and a vine owner and a vine dresser, and it's not producing fruit, and it's more of a parable. And all three of these are important, and the fact that it's a, that it represents Israel is important. And as I said, I believe these really happen. But I'd like to submit to you, what if neither of these stories, the fig tree or the cleaning temple, is about Jesus being angry? What if it's teaching them a powerful parable? You see, it starts here and says it's the day after the triumphal entry. Well, you know, the palm branches, the coming into the community. It is late spring. Uh, it says they were staying in Bethany. Bethany's just two miles outside of Jerusalem. It's just like a suburb. It's not that big a deal. They went out there and stayed with friends, came back into town so they could be at the temple. Uh, so it's just a normal day. But now, Mark notes that it is not in season for the figs. It's not the right time for ripe completely mature fruit but this tree had leaves already which suggested it came out early this early grower you know early bloomer as it were and it suggests that that this one might have true uh, true fruit on it i love the humanity of jesus because he walks up and actually inspects the tree now his divinity could tell him there was no fruit on that tree is that I mean, the guy heals, he sees heart. I don't think it would be hard for him to uh, inspect a tree with his divinity, but he goes up physically and inspects the tree. He expects to find fruit, and he's immediately disappointed. All leaves, no fruit. All expectation, no satisfaction. Let me ask you this. Have you ever felt that in your faith? A time of expectation, but it didn't seem to happen. Maybe it's faith in what's going to happen in church. Maybe a sermon or a song or or maybe what the church is doing and how they're treating people. And you expected one thing and you were kind of disappointed. Or maybe it's just in your own prayer life, a prayer that you've prayed for a, a family, for a child, for... Uh, for a job that you believed you really believed it was going to be the right situation and and it didn't work out on your time frame is it fair to say that most of us have been disappointed with church with church people or maybe even with God's timing would that be fair and I'm not being blasphemous I'm just saying let's be fair that we've probably all felt that disappointment how do you respond? To disappointment with god how do you respond when hey god you didn't do it on my time frame hey you didn't work it out like i want i think we've probably all been there and again i'm not meaning to blaspheme i'm just saying let's be real i remember several years ago it's been quite a while and i was watching a televangelist on tv from texas and he was talking and he was at that tone you know the televangelist tone you know he was one of those put your hands on the TV set and you're checking the mail kind of th- guys, right? And and I just vividly remember him talking, and and he was in that salesman pitch, you know, that. and he says, God has something good for you this week. Something good is going to happen to you this week. And I remember him saying good, and four letters he turned into three syllables. And I didn't figure out how he could do that. Good, good. Uh, for some of you English people in here, I don't know how he did that, but it was it was impressive to me that this guy was, and I'm not mocking, and he was talking that something good is going to happen in your life this week. And I remember reading a news story later that week that later in that very same week, his own son killed himself. Now, I'm not saying that to mock, and I'm not saying, well, you got what it is. No, no, no. I'm saying, here's a guy that's saying, something good is going to happen to you this week, but something good didn't happen to him. You hearing me? Can we, can we realize that sometimes life is not great? Can we still trust that God is? Yeah, yes. Yes, we can. Will we? Will we decide that God is great, even if the circumstances aren't? Psalm 34 and verse 10 says, Those who seek the Lord will lack no good thing. Will lack nothing. Paul says it later on, and he says, well, to live or die is gain. Well, if I live, I get to hang out with you guys, and we're going to talk about Jesus, and I win. If I die, I get to go be with Jesus, and I win. So I win or I win. See, he was looking at a God that was bigger than circumstances. But I wonder if we are. So back to the story. Then why did Jesus curse this tree? Why did this guy, if if he had this divinity, why didn't he heal the tree and go and it was full of fruit? You ever wonder that? Why did, why did he he curse this tree? Is this all an act of hangriness Anybody been hangry? You know what I'm talking about, all right? Some of you right now going, I wish you'd hurry up. we got to get to El Rancho. All right? I, I get it, all right? Um, but you see, this would be, if this was all about anger, these stories would be out of character of Jesus. You see, Jesus is one that welcomes children. He's one that heals sinners and and uh, people that have leprosy he's he's one that calms storms now i need you to help me out i i looked and i can only find this passage and do you remember the story where jesus sent the pigs or sent the evil spirits into the pigs and they went off the cliff and those are the only two stories that i can find where jesus used his divine power to uh, to destroy something now maybe there are others if you find them let me know but these are the only two i could find where he used his power to tear something down why didn't he build it up well here's like what i'd like to suggest to you what if this is act one in a really powerful parable what if act one is the tree and Him cursing that tree and it not producing fruit. What if Act 2 then, Act 2 would be played out in the temple courts? Now I got a hunch. Lots of you have heard sermons about Jesus cleaning the temple, right? We've heard that sermon a lot, where he fashioned a whip and he ran them all out. and And most of it, most of those sermons are dealing with the word, the term righteous anger. How do we deal with anger in our life? How do we deal with it? And I don't think any of that's wrong. But there's a backstory here too. Jerusalem is packed. All right, it's a huge town now. Every Jew within 15 miles is required to come to Passover. But Jesus was in Capernaum, which is up in the north part. It was over 80 miles away. He still came anyway because this was his habit ever since he was a little kid. You remember when he was 12 and and mom and dad left town and they couldn't find him because he was back at the temple? They were there for the Passover. And it says in Luke 2, every year they did this. And... And let's be honest, Jesus was there the day before. He was already at the temple before. So he has seen the money changers there. I wonder how often we have misused this passage. We've used it as a way to say, don't mess with the building and don't do uh, things in the building. How many of you grew up with uh, singing groups coming to town? Uh, do you remember the singing groups coming in? I grew up a cappella, so they were always four guys with matching suits. Anybody remember this? You know, and they're, you know, and they're, they're all doing that, right? And I, they're up at the front. Maybe you did it with a band, and they were, you know, uh, and they were doing all the Gaither stuff, and they were just jamming away. But after the, after the show, right, after the concert, there was a love offering, and then they would sell their, what's this? They would sell their cassettes. So all the teenagers would go, what's that? Yeah. Well, the cassettes were before the CDs. What's a CD? Uh, it's how they used to have music back in the day, all right? Um, and they have a table out there, and they sell it. Anybody remember those things? I've actually been in churches where they could not have the table in the foyer. They had to have the table outside the building... On the concrete out there, and we're all just sitting there shaking our heads, going, "You got to be kidding me!" No, they got it from this passage right here. We're not going to be changing money in the the temple. But t- the funny part is, in history, the money changers were always there. You had people traveling from everywhere to be here for Passover, and they needed they needed sacrifices. People that have traveled a long, long way. It, Let me ask you this, would it be easier for you to bring an animal from 80 miles away that you have raised for three years to keep it blemish free and hope that you can get it all the way to Jerusalem without it breaking a leg or running off or getting dirty? And would it be easier to do that or go there and buy one when you got there? Seems like common sense would say, well, let's just get one when we get there. So they had this going on. It was always out in the Gentile courts. That happened all the time. And another fact is you had to pay a Roman, you had to pay a temple tax, and that had to be in Roman money. You couldn't do it in Jewish money. The Romans didn't want your silly Jewish money. So you'd have to go change it into Roman money. Uh, Suppose you went down to Super Saver, Farmer's Country Market, and you got your groceries, and you pulled up to the little cart, and they, they said, I'm sorry, we only take euros here now. And you go, well, I don't have euros. And they said, well, lucky for you, we have this table over here, and you can give them two American dollars, and they will give you one euro. Does that sound like a fair trade? All right. That's what's happening here. This has been going on all through history. I believe the issue wasn't the money changing. It was the money cheating. These were people that were cheating God's people, and they were usually Israelites. And the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, were getting paid off the top. Hey, you want to sell your doves here? You want to sell your lambs here? You want to do my... Fine, you can set up your table right here, but you need to pay us a little on the top too. You hear what I'm saying? So the religious elite is hurting their own people. And in the Mark account here, it mentions doves. I went and looked back in Leviticus, and the doves are the cheapest sacrifice. Those are for the poor people. And he turned over those tables. The implication to me was they were cheating even the poor people. They were cheating the least of these. And these are people that knew Israel was supposed to be the ones that care. They all grew up quoting the Old Testament. Micah 6.8, "...what does the Lord require of me? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly." they know that they know that stuff from their little childhood but these are israelites cheating israelites what if jesus is throwing hands here what if he's turning over tables what if he's he's cursing fig trees not because he's angry but because he's disappointed in israel could be could that be possible you see i think these two stories are a very graphic demonstration of a sad spiritual condition, fruitless and inwardly corrupt. I think he's disappointed in Israel. By far, uh, in 1993, by far the best movie about Bob Sledders ever came out called Cool Runnings. Uh, I don't know actually how many bobsled movies there are out there, but none of them are as good as this one. 1993 Cool Runnings, John Candy plays er blitzer. He was a, a former Olympian, washed up, living down in the islands, drinking and gambling. And, and there are these Jamaican runners that they figure out, hey, man, we want to get to the Olympics, and they want to go to the Calgary Olympics in the snow, even though they've never even seen snow. And so, you know, the whole story. And And through the story, they discover that John Candy's uh character has been banned from the olympics because he cheated he put weights in the front of his bobsled when he was there he had already got two gold medals and he wanted another one so he was cheating to win and they kicked him out kicked him off the team nobody wants to talk to him and probably the most monumental part of this whole movie is when uh uh, Dur- uh bannock who's the kind of lead character he's the guy putting the he's the jamaican that's putting the bobsled team together he He says, Coach, why'd you do it? Why did you cheat? His answer is still powerful to me. He said, because I had to win. That's all I knew. And if I didn't win, I didn't know if I'd be anybody. If I wasn't a winner, I was a loser. And I I didn't know what I'd be if I lost, but I, I learned something in this. If you're not enough without a gold medal, you won't be enough with one. America should be the happiest place on Earth. I mean, we got two Disneyland's, for crying out loud. We got them on each side, all right? We should be the happiest place on Earth. We got money, we got freedom, we got all this kind of stuff. There was a study done in 2019. The results came out in the spring of 2020, so it sounds jaded, but it was actually on data that was done in 2019. They surveyed 90,000 people worldwide worldwide. And they asked him a, a plethora of questions, but they, one of the things they found is the top five richest countries without fail, and the United States as part of that, had the highest rates of depression and suicide. We may have a bunch, but have we lost our roots? Have we lost what really matters? See, go back to this story. And the part of the story that really caught me is in verse 20. The tree, how did it die? Now, in the Matthew account, it says it died on the spot. In the Mark account, it says they came back the next day and saw it. Either way, the tree died. Okay, but Mark is specific about how. Look in verse 20 about how it died. In verse 20, it says, As they passed by the tree, he had cursed the disciples, noticed it had withered from the roots up. Sequoias have been around for a thousand years, but this massive tree blew down in a storm. Why? Because it lost connection to a root system. It lost what really matters. And I want to submit to you that when you are dry spiritually, it's usually from the roots up. It's usually not external, it's usually internal. We've lost our roots, we've lost lo- what really matters. So question, have you lost your connection with God? What are, your, what are your habits of study look like right now? I mean, be realistic, I'm not griping. What are your habits, what do they look like? Are you reading your Bible daily? Has your prayer life deepened? You may be saying, "But Don, we just got started with school this week. It's just—I mean, it's crazy. It's busy. I get it. Totally get it. I'm not mad. I'm not griping. I'm just asking: What do our habits look like? Are we abiding in Him? Teenagers, our amp logos on the wall in there: abide, magnify, proclaim. Are we abiding? Are we living in Him? Are we soaking in Him? Because the problem may not be everything that's happening. The problem might be the roots. Now, you're going to think this is very simplistic from my botany side, all right? But here's what I think. I think fig trees were designed to make figs. I know it's a deep thought. Go ahead. Wow, Don, that's deep. All right. Uh, if you plant an apple tree and you fed it and you watered it and you took good care of it, what do you expect to happen? You expect apples, True. Pecans, you plant that, you expect that kind of fruit to happen. You see, when Jesus went up to this tree, it looked like it had fruit. But but it wasn't doing what it was designed to do. It had the appearance of fruit, but none were there. A false appearance. I'm afraid some Christians might have fig tree syndrome. We look the part, but no fruit. You hearing me? We got a lot of leaves, but nothing there. And that failed expectation leaves people hungry for something more. You see, we have a purpose, a very clearly commanded, not suggested purpose. Go and make disciples of all the nations, not just a few of you, everybody baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. See, the command is for you and me, and I'm suggesting that this metaphor of the fig tree and the temple is that Jesus is talking to Israel and saying, You're not doing your jobs, and your corruption is inside. And I wonder if he's making the same message to you and me. What if Jesus is trying to make a very powerful, dramatic point? Get back to doing what I designed you to do. We need to show fruit in our lives. And friends, that's more than, well, we go to church. Well, we sang some cool songs. Hey, I'm nice. I mean, I was really nice. You told me to be nice. Yeah, we need to be nice. But what kind of fruit is there? Where are the disciples that you're leading? Where are the ones that you're mentoring? Are are you checking on people weekly? Where is the teaching? Where are you pointing people? we got a lot of programs here, but friends, we want things to point to Jesus. And the irony here, the irony about this whole lesson is that the vast majority of you in this room have already made a decision. You have already decided to follow Jesus. And churches are full of people that have decided to follow hey i like god i i i I mean you hear what i mean with the air quotes here i love god we've decided to follow but are we following are we just kind of in favor of god or are we doing what he commands i loved what wayne had to say today listening to him not me don't listen to my heart listen to what he says and even indecision is a decision you realize that you may be sitting there saying yeah one of these days i need to get baptized yeah one of these days i when we get everything figured out when i get all my money started figured out i'll tithe when i get it when i get all of my life figured out and I'll, I'll stop dealing with my junk then i'll serve jesus you hear me but what if he's saying right now decide, because your indecision is still a choice look let's be blunt I got a hunch most of us in here have been disappointed with God, with the church, with people in the church. And our expectations have not met what we thought. Decide to follow Him anyway. Ask yourself, what are your roots like? What are your habits like? And decide to follow Him daily. Is your fruit showing? What about this one? Are you all show and no tell? You know what I mean? We're all show, but we're not telling. You see, the whole road trip series was about taking God with us. And there's a lot of people that love God. And, oh, God is with me. I I don't want to know if God is with you. I want to know if you are with God. If you're committed, if He is... He is your everything. Because that's what this series is about. That's, what, that's our purpose here. Make disciples and make Him first. We're going to have a baptism in a minute. And maybe some of you are thinking about it. Let's talk. Maybe some of you have been baptized for a long time. And you're just kind of wandered away. And you're, you're stumbling back into church. Thank you. If you're joining us online and you're in that boat. Thank you. We're glad that you're here. Decide today. To make Him first in everything. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.